context. The goal of description provides the observations, and the goal of explanation helps to build the theory. If all the tests seem to indicate the young girl has a learning problem, such as dyslexia, an inability to read at expected levels for a particular age and degree of intelligence, the next step would be to try to predict what is likely to happen if the situation stays the same. Determining what will happen in the future is a prediction. In the example, the psychologist or counselor would predict, based on previous research in similar situations, that this little girl will probably continue to do poorly in her schoolwork and may never be able to reach her full learning potential. Clearly, something needs to be done to change this prediction, which is the point of the last of the four goals of psychology, changing or modifying behavior. The focus of control, or the modification of some behavior, is to change a behavior from an undesirable one, such as failing in school, to a desirable one, such as academic success. In the example of the young girl, certain learning strategies can be used to help children or adults who have dyslexia improve their reading skills. The psychologist and educators would work together to find a training strategy that works best for this particular girl. Not all psychological investigations will try to meet all four of these goals. In some cases, the main focus might be on description and prediction as it would be for a personality theorist who wants to know what people are like description and what they might do in certain situations prediction some psychologists are interested in both description and explanation as is the case with experimental psychologists who design research to find explanations for observed described behavior therapist of course would be more interested in controlling or influencing behavior and mental processes although the other three goals would be important in getting to this goal although these goals have not really changed over the years since psychology's beginnings. The methods of achieving them certainly have changed. In the next section, we'll take a look at early pioneers in psychology. Psychology Then the history of psychology. Psychology is a relatively new field in the realm of the sciences, only about 125 years old. It's not that no one thought about what makes people tick before then. On the contrary, there were philosophers, medical doctors, and physiologists who thought about little else. Aristotle, who lived from 384 to 322 BC, wrote about the relationship of the soul to the body, with the two being aspects of the same underlying structure, in De Anima, as well as other works. Plato, Aristotle's teacher, felt the soul could exist separately from the body, a view that has become known as dualism. René Descartes, a 17th-century French philosopher and mathematician, agreed with Plato and believed that the pineal gland, a small organ at the base of the brain, was the seat of the soul. Philosophers tried to understand or explain the human mind and its connection to the physical body, while medical doctors and physiologists wondered about the physical connection between the body and the brain. For example, physician and physicist Gustav Fechner is often credited with performing some of the first scientific experiments that would form a basis for experimentation in psychology with his studies of perception, and physician Hermann von Helmholtz performed groundbreaking experiments in visual and auditory perception. It really all started to come together in a laboratory in Leipzig, Germany in 1879. It was here that Wilhelm Wundt, a physiologist, attempted to apply scientific principles to the study of the human mind. In his laboratory, students from around the world were taught to study the structure of the human mind. Wundt believed that the mind was made up of thoughts, experiences, emotions, and other basic elements. In order to inspect these non-physical elements, students had to learn to think objectively about their own thoughts. After all, they could hardly read someone else's mind. Wundt called this process objective introspection. 
the process of objectively examining and measuring one's own thoughts and mental activities. For example, Wundt might place an object, such as a rock, into a student's hand and have the student tell him everything that he was feeling as a result of having the rock in his hand, all the sensations stimulated by the rock. This was really the first attempt by anyone to bring objectivity and measurement to the concept of psychology. This attention to objectivity, together with the establishment of the first true experimental laboratory in psychology, is why Wundt is known as the father of psychology. One of Wundt's students was Edward Titchener, an Englishman who eventually took Wundt's ideas to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Titchener expanded on Wundt's original ideas, calling his new viewpoint structuralism, because the focus of study was the structure of the mind. He believed that every experience could be broken down into its individual emotions and sensations. Although Titchener agreed with Wundt that consciousness, the state of being aware of external events, could be broken down into its basic elements, Titchener also believed that objective introspection could be used on thoughts as well as on physical sensations. For example, Titchener might have asked his students to introspect about things that are blue rather than actually giving them a blue object and asking